Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter number 16, the book of Mark and chapter 16 this morning. We're so thankful to see each and every one of you here. Mark chapter number 16, those three words are the reason why we gather to this morning. He is risen. In fact, those, are, those three words are, are the reason we, we gather together every weekend. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate what Christ has accomplished for us, done for us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in Christianity. The Apostle Paul says that if it weren't for the resurrection of Christ, then our faith would be in vain. What that, what that word means is it would be empty. It would be pointless had Christ not resurrected from the grave. And yet Christ did rise from the grave for us. It's the most important event in human history. Time is divided by Jesus Christ himself. Before Christ, we understand time as B.C. And after the death of Christ, we understand time as A.D. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event for you today. That's what I want to spend time talking and thinking about this morning. It's easy to think, well, yeah, of course the resurrection of Jesus is big for the history of the world. And of course it's important for the foundation of faith. But what about for me? What about for you individually in your everyday life? You're finding your place in Mark chapter 16. If you, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. We're going to start in verse number 1 of Mark chapter 16. And the Bible reads, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might... Come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they had looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event for you individually because in the resurrection of Jesus Christ we see that there is something personal. There is something personal about the resurrection of Jesus. The Sabbath day, the Bible says, has just passed and these women are bringing spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Now this is not uncommon. We do practices like this even in our day. You, you visit a cemetery because it's the last point of contact with someone that you love. 
and you think fondly or you love that person and you want to remember them and so you go to the cemetery in order to bring back those memories, in order to bring back that feeling of love or, or understanding or care that you had about that individual. And that's what we're seeing happening here with these ladies. They wanted to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He meant much to them. They loved who he was. He cared for them. They cared for him. And so they're visiting the tomb. And yet the Bible also says that they're bringing spices to anoint specifically the body of the Lord Jesus. We see in the text that they're asking questions. Who's going to move the stone for us? So they're thinking about the complications that they're going to face when they get there. But this is why the resurrection of Jesus is personal. It's personal because the resurrection of Jesus Christ shattered their expectations. When they're on their way to the tomb that morning, they are fully anticipating finding the body of Jesus. That is what I want you to see. That there was, there was no predisposition in their hearts or in their minds that Jesus would be alive. No one was outside of the tomb that morning ready to take a selfie with a resurrected Jesus. They all believed that he had died because they had seen it themselves. And no one believed what he had already told them. And Jesus had told them over and over, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. The Son of Man must be buried, but the Son of Man will live again. You tear the temple down, speaking of his body, and I will build it back in three days, speaking of his resurrection. And no one believed this. They heard it, but they didn't believe it. So on their way to the tomb, they're coming to fully expect to find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're worried about the problems they're going to have when they get there. They're asking, who's going to move the stone away for us? Look at verse number four. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Now, why was the stone rolled away? Well, Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away in order for him to get out. The Bible is very clear. Jesus can walk through walls. He can appear in rooms. No, the, the rock was removed not to let Jesus out. The rock was removed in order to let them in. This is why the angel says, take a look at where he laid. See for yourself what is possible with God. Because with God, all things are possible. And with him, nothing is impossible. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's the kind of God that we give our lives to. The kind of God who shatters our expectation that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. The Bible says, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is personal because it shattered their expectations. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is personal because it shattered their desperation. You see, it is easy to sit and wonder how these women and disciples could love who Jesus is but not believe what Jesus said. 
But are we not often finding ourselves doing the same thing? It's easy to say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm worried about, and fill in the blank. And wasn't it Jesus who told us that he would never leave us or forsake us? And wasn't it Jesus who told us that if God be for us, then who can stand against us? And wasn't it Jesus who told us that he works all things in our lives for good? He does not say all things are good. He says he will work them together for our good in our lives. Was it not Jesus who told us this? All that God is doing in the lives of these women, in the lives of the disciples, is meant to increase their faith and their trust in him. And all that God is doing in your heart and in your life, all that God is doing in your relationships, all that God is doing for you is meant to increase your faith and your dependency on him. And yet if we fail to take personal the promises of God, then we will find ourselves in the same desperation that these women found themselves in. We will find ourselves in the same desperation that the disciples found themselves in. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one, that it was Mary Magdalene who came. Skip down to verse number nine. I want to I show you their desperation. Look at verse nine. Now, when Jesus was risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared, notice, first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. In John chapter 20, we get a more detailed account of his appearance to her. And the Bible says that at first she did not recognize that it was Jesus. She believed that she was talking to a gardener. And she was in such desperation that although Jesus was standing right next to her, she did not realize who he was. And the Bible says that Jesus asked her two questions. He asked her first, why are you crying? And he asked her, second, what are you looking for? And her answer is very interesting because she answers the first question in this way. Why are you crying? And he, she says, because they have taken him from me. And you see, you see the desperation in her answer that when you are in despair, that you fail to see what is possible with God and you find yourself blaming everyone else as the reason for your pain. Everyone else as the reason for your problems. Everyone else as why things aren't going the way you thought they would. Well, things would be better for me if they hadn't done this. And things would be better for me if they hadn't done that. And things would be better for me if she would have or if they wouldn't have. And we find ourselves blaming everyone else instead of realizing that it was us who failed to take personal the promises of God. It was us who failed to be obedient to his word. Yes, we heard the word, but we were not doers of the word. And she finds herself blaming everyone. But this isn't the only question he asks her. He says, why are you crying? Well, the reason I'm crying is because what everyone else did to me. But he asks her a second question, what are you looking for? What do you think will make you happy? What do you think will take away your pain? Mary is this close to Jesus, and yet she does not realize it is him. 
And so it is with our despair, with our frustration. So it is with our disappointment. So it is with our pain. It clouds our vision. It limits our perspective. What's interesting is how Jesus changes Mary's scenario from one of desperation to one of hope. Mary change, Jesus changes Mary's perspective with one single word. Not a long sermon. Just one word he gives to Mary that morning. And the one word is her name. He calls her Mary. And the Bible says just like that she recognized who he was. And this is how we deal with hurtful disappointment in life. That we are reminded that God knows us. God loves us. God is aware of us. That God is interested in us. That God knows you. God loves you. God cares for you. That God knows you personally. God cares for you individually. God loves you. He loves you specifically. And so when he says this one word to her, when he calls her name Mary... All she hears is every hair on your head is numbered. I know you, I love you, I care for you. I know you are hurting, but I am here to heal your hurt. You see, there are many in our day living in despair because they have failed to take personal the promises of God. The resurrection means we serve a living Savior who's in the world today. We serve a Savior who can heal our hurt. He can remedy our disappointment. He has a purpose in our pain. The resurrection of Jesus is personal. The resurrection of Jesus is, is powerful. There's something powerful about the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened, which is, a, which is to say they were afraid. And he saith unto them, be not afraid, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which is crucified, he is risen, he is not here. And behold the place where they laid him, and go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him as he said unto you. You see, friend, it is not enough to simply believe that the tomb was empty. The Pharisees knew the tomb was empty. The Romans knew that the tomb was empty. What the Pharisees and Romans did not believe is they did not believe that Jesus was alive. But the text is clear. The tomb isn't just empty. Jesus, in fact, is alive. An empty tomb can't change your life. An empty tomb can't save your soul. Only a living Christ can save your soul. Only a living Christ can save, can change your life. He demonstrates his power for us in that he rose that morning from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrated how he conquered the grave for us. He beat death for us. 
The Bible says in verse 6, he was crucified. That's a historic fact. And Jesus was decisively dead. He wasn't just kind of dead. He was all the way dead. And dead people do not come back from the dead. We find ourselves asking ourselves the question then this morning. We say, well, why did Jesus die? Well, the Bible is very clear why we die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That word wage means cost or, or payment. The payment of sin, the cost of sin is death. The reason we die is because of sin. The Bible says sin has separated us from God. God who is life. God who is the creator of life. God who is the sustainer of life. God who is the giver of life. Our sin has separated us from God who is life. And if we die separated from God in our sin, the Bible says that we will suffer an eternal death in a place called hell. But make no mistake about it, Jesus had no sin. The Bible says that Jesus was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. No one in this room can say that we are without sin. The Bible is very clear. We have all sinned. We've all gone our own way, done our own thing, thought we knew better than God on how our lives should go. We've all sinned. Well, if Jesus didn't sin, then why did he die? And the answer is very clear from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ died for our sin. You see, Christ died in our place. This is what Galatians 3 says, that Christ redeemed us. He bought us back. Christ bought us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Christ died for your sin, and Christ died for my sin, and Christ died for all the sin in all the world. It was laid on Christ on that day when he went to that cross. But not only did he die, he rose from the dead. And Jesus overcame death. And Jesus overcame death to demonstrate for us his power, his willingness to offer to us his righteousness. Notice the next sentence. He was crucified, but he is risen and he is not here. And the reason the tomb is empty is because Jesus is alive. When Jesus died, the Bible teaches us they took his body, they laid him in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of the door. They, they set a seal on it. It's like taking duct tape and making sure that the rock won't move. They put some Gorilla Glue around it. They got a couple third shift security guards and they set a watch. But none of this was enough because Jesus demonstrated his power over death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. And Jesus is powerful for you and me in that he rose from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus 
means that Jesus' death was enough. It was satisfactory. Jesus' death was enough to atone for sin. Not for his sin, but for ours. Jesus' death was enough to reconcile us to God. To bring us back to God, which sin had fractured that relationship. And Jesus' death was enough to make us holy in the presence of a God who is holy. And Christ won for us that day. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. And he won that for us when he rose from the grave. And Christ conquered the grave for, for us. He was crucified, but he is risen He's not here. See where they laid him. That's a way of saying, come and look for yourself. He is not there. He is powerful over the grave. But let me illustrate it like this. Imagine you and your younger brothers one night decide to, to sneak out of your room. You get your bikes, you, you ride your bikes to the store, you steal some fireworks, you steal some lighters, you come back home, and you start blowing up stuff in your driveway. And pretty soon, your mom and dad hear what you're doing in the driveway, they, they come out to see who is doing it, and they find you, firework and lighter in hand. Your mom gives you that look that only a mom can give. How many of you know what look I'm talking about? How many of you got that look a lot when you were a kid? How many of you get that look every now and then still? You know you're in big trouble. So your mom and dad are about to, they're about to issue your punishment and just before they give you your punishment, imagine your older brother steps out. Your older brother who's been in his room the whole time. Your older brother hasn't committed any crime. He isn't blowing anything up. And he steps into your defense. He offers to take your punishment, even though he had no part in the crime. So imagine your mom and dad, they give him the lecture. Imagine your mom and dad, they show their displeasure in him. Imagine your mom and dad, they send him to the room. You are the one who is guilty. Your older brother is the one who is innocent. And yet he is offered to take your punishment, even though he was not a part of the crime. He pays for your crime. He, he earns your Forgiveness by going to his room, receiving the displeasure, hearing the lecture. And now as long as the older brother is in the room, you, you, will, not feel, you will not feel cleared of your crime. It, it's not until the door opens that you feel as if the punishment has been met. 
Because once he is set free, you can rejoice. Why? Because you know the penalty has been paid. Mom and dad have nothing else against you. The empty room proves the satisfaction of parental justice. And so it is that you and I have an older brother. One who was not guilty of any sin of his own, but one who stepped in, took the penalty, took the punishment of our sin on himself, received all the displeasure from God. His father was laid into the tomb and stepped out of the empty grave, testifying for us that he is in fact the son of God, but also demonstrating to us that his offering for our sin was acceptable to a holy and righteous God. Divine justice satisfied in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates his power over the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates he conquered not just the grave, but he conquered guilt. Yeah, notice what the Bible says. Verse 7, but go your way. And tell his disciples and Peter. Now, now, why does he say it like that? And Peter is a disciple. So, so why doesn't he just say, go your way and tell the disciples? Well, why, why does he single Peter out specifically? Well, why doesn't he say, well, well, go your way and tell the disciples and Peter, James, and John, the, the three that love me and I love them, the three I'm closest with and are closest to me. Why, why does he say, tell the disciples and Peter? Well, you'll remember what Peter had done just a few nights earlier. And Peter had cursed Christ. Peter had denied knowing Christ after boasting about how he would never abandon Jesus, he would never turn on Jesus, Peter finds himself warming his hands by the fire of the enemy, denying in fact that he knew Christ at all. That night had been the biggest failure of Peter's life. Peter's filled with remorse and with regret. And so Jesus says, I'm resurrected from the grave. I've conquered not only the grave, but I'll conquer guilt. Tell the disciples and Peter, I am alive. You see, friend, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, not even your biggest failure, your greatest weakness. There is nothing, Paul says, that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The resurrection says your guilt is gone. No matter what you've done. No matter how bad you've blown up your life, and some of you have tried really hard, no matter how bad you've blown it for the people in your life, and some of you have done that too. 
No matter what you've done, the resurrection of Jesus Christ says, I have conquered not only the grave, but I have conquered the guilt. No matter what you've done, you can start over. Doesn't matter if you were a hitman in the mob for the last 10 years. You can start over with Jesus Christ. And Jesus has the power not only to conquer the grave, but Jesus has the power to conquer guilt. And in Christ's power, we are already right now resurrected to a new life. You see, for the believer, our hope is not just a future goal. Our, our hope for the power of the resurrection is a present reality. We are not the same people that we used to be because Christ is in us. Paul says we were, past tense, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are alive to God through Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, the reason we struggle with feelings of guilt, we, we, cannot, we cannot really believe that we are justified. We are right before a holy God. It's because we forget that every stripe that we deserved has already been dealt to us through our substitute on the cross we forget the convincing proof divine justice has been satisfied. It's been demonstrated. God was pleased to bruise Christ for us. We forget the power of the resurrection. So we find ourselves doubting the love of God, not feeling assurance from God, wondering if we're good enough for God because we forget what Christ has done for us. Some of us struggle with feelings of helplessness. We cannot, we cannot really believe that God is working all things for our good because he is making us into the image of his son. Because we forget. I am crucified with Christ. And I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. And yet, and yet I live no, no, not I, but Christ lives in me. Amen. And so the life that I now live in the flesh, the life I live right now, the life you live right now, I will live by faith. I, I will live through the power of Jesus Christ made available to us through his resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is personal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful. And many people are living with guilt because they fail to see the power of God in Christ. And many people are living in despair because they fail to take personal the promises of God. 
third and last. It's not just something personal. It's not just something powerful. It's there's something practical about the resurrection of Jesus. In those three words, he is risen. Means you can be forgiven of all your sin. Means you can have the assurance that when you walk out of this building, that Christ is your personal Savior. It's more than joining a church. It's more than walking an aisle. It's having Christ in your heart. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. See, Christianity is not simply a moral code. Christianity is not just religiousness. Christianity is a relationship with a living Savior. Yes, we love our enemies. Yes, we bless those who curse us. Yes, we go the extra mile. Yes, we turn the other cheek. But hear me, friend. Jesus did not simply come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And we were dead in our sin, but we are alive through Christ in us. And so we're closing here. There's two questions that faced the ladies that day, the disciples that evening. There's two questions that face us. 2,000 years ago, the world woke up to the news, the tomb is empty because Jesus is arisen. And there's two questions that's posed. First, do you believe that? Second, are you living that? The tomb is empty because Jesus is risen. And his resurrection was personal. And his resurrection is powerful. But friend, his resurrection is practical when you make it yours. Do you believe that?